Welcome to Subscribing to Wellness, the show where Rachel Newman and myself, Daniel Fairman, sit down with leading founders, executives, and investors committed to building a healthier future for consumers. Today on Subscribing to Wellness, we are joined by managing partner and co-founder of Bullish Inc., Michael Duda. Mike is a brand builder and investor. He is an early investor in Peloton, Harry's, Casper, Birchbox, Warby Parker, and Hugh Chocolate, to name a few. Bullish is a marketing operating partner focused on being in the growth business, one part creative agency, one part consumer investment firm, where they deploy capabilities from both worlds to help brands speed the transformation of opportunities into outcomes. Mike, welcome to Subscribing to Wellness. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Mike Duda, co-founder, general partner of Bullish. We're this wacky early stage consumer investment firm that also operates a marketing agency. So we often say the least valuable thing we do is provide financial capital to founders. We can actually help them build a brand, help find marketing talent, help construct go-to-market plans, and just kind of be like the personal trainer to the entrepreneur as they figure out how to best win over the consumers that they're going after. Were you on the agency side to start with or the investor side or where did you start and how did the idea kind of come to fruition? Yeah, I'm, 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 you know, Mad Men might be a little bit aged right now, but I was in advertising and marketing agency side for a good number of years. And I am still to this day pressed to find another industry that really combines such wonderfully talented and weird people that combine the left, sa- left side of the brain in terms of like strategy and how to solve business problems, but do so through the right side of the brain creativity and, and how to do it. So the world's not linear. So it's, the way the world is going between the creator economy and all that, I think uh, it's advantage the agency side. So the only investment job I've ever had was in a firm I created. And that's because I got sick and tired of like Wall Street people or and less so VCs that just thought, well, marketing is an expense. It's something cut to going into recession or troubled times, restore it later, or even those who define it as only CAC, which that is changing quite a bit right now, we hope. So we wanted to show that potent marketing people and pretty good marketing people when you apply the same economics as money, it just like can have like a lethal effect on some strong businesses. So that's why we exist. If we could just take a little step back. So I come from an advertising background actually as well. And nice. yeah, and I think it would be helpful for us to kind of unpack bullish as a organization, uh, as a company. So Perfect. how bullish differs from like the typical VC versus how bullish differs from your typical advertising agency. And if you could explain a little bit what your typical relationship with a company is. Yeah. So legally we're, we're, you know, brand fund, our series of funds is a separate LLC, LP kind of group, limited partners, like everybody else. And then we have a, uh, you know, a C corp in terms of the agency side, because legally if we put them both together, that'd be basically SEC jihad. Since as fund managers, we cannot promise past results are not indicative of the future. And on the marketing side, we talk about benefit statements versus like anything rational, right? But to be honest with you, I don't know what we look like because on paper, we look like a platypus. I want to be a little bit sexier than a platypus, but like very functional. I got to really study the platypus thing. But I think if you walk into our space, you'd feel more of like something that bodes a little bit more towards like creative agency side and building in that side of it. And don't get me wrong. We care about the financial world. We do gross margin stuff. We look for business viability. We have people from fancy schools, but it's like more of a liberal arts kind of feel where we're asking more questions and giving answers and just like just helping our founders just solve problems. Now that said, raise your hand if you've ever heard another investor say that they're value add. 
wait for Never. it. Everyone, everyone, we're all we're all freaking value added, right? I'll say freaking because I know there's some Canadians listening. We're all value added on that side, but we literally say the least valuable thing we bring is money. It's just like we can help with other things related to it. And yes, there's certain things that are important to us, pro rata, information rights, but it's our job to build a relationship with the entrepreneur and earn that kind of respect and that insight and counsel that we really want to be brought in on key situations before like either key marketing hire or big campaign. Dirty little secret is, more often than not, we'll, we'll, we'll come out of a meeting saying we should spend less money in marketing advertising. Because especially with early stage companies, it's just like if you have something remarkable, how do we find our cohort, our fan base, very early on the product, and then go find more of them. And it's like you can put steroids and opioids in terms, like, in terms of performance marketing. By no means we're anti-performance marketing, but way too many founders, way too many VCs just love like Facebook, Google, hack is the new rent, all those catchy phrases. Like no rational human being spends her or his time all on Google and Facebook. So if you know who your consumer is, you can really figure out where to target them at the right place and right time. And that ain't all on, you know, Facebook ads, Instagram and all that stuff. So that's what we help do. Can you give us an example of, or like a case study of a company that you've worked with that you were really excited about and how you kind of like transformed them or leveled them up? Yeah, I'd say it's like to be, we'll use one as an example, but we're excited by a great deal of companies. And and, and to be super honest, I'll go back to we're, we're the nanny. Like for us to do our best, it's like you find really good parents, aka founders. And so that's it. It's like people like me can like revel in all the great things that Peloton has done or Sunday Lawn or Function of Beauty and Casper and Warby Parker and Harry's and stuff. But but I'll use Harry's as an example. Long ago, we um, got instruction to Jeff Rader. He'd actually talked to three of our founders, Haley Barna, who's at Birchbox, now first run capital, said, would you like to meet Jeff Rader? It's like, yeah, this guy's gotten some accomplishments early. He came to us, long story short, he said, I've raised all the money I need, but if I don't have a brand, I know I'm not going to win. And this is one of those things like, yeah, it probably took five or 10 minutes to figure out we're going to invest in this thing. But like we went through all the fancy investment memos and rationalization. We had them move into our back office. It'd be Jeff and Andy, Katz Mayfield. And we worked with them almost like an office hours format to really figure out what the brand strategy was, what the brand positioning was, the do's and don'ts, figure out who that persona target was. And it wasn't an adult 25 to 44. As I say all the time, I've never met a freaking adult 25 to 44. They don't exist. That's a media target. It was more of like a 27-year-old lawyer that lives in Williamsburg who reads the Wall Street Journal on his iPad while running on the treadmill doesn't necessarily need to shave every day. I mean, if you think about it, our mascot was a woolly mammoth. So we really leaned in that proposition, which was anti-Gillette, because Gillette is like a best a man can get. And like, yeah, dude, like 1980 bro style. And not all guys are like that. In fact, most of them aren't. We don't aspire to be like that. So we really helped them play that out and, and help them with their, even their pre-launch stuff. And just, we added some key things. At the same time, it's a damn good team with a damn good proposition. And I'll be honest with you, I think I learned more about things like culture and team building and how to go to zero to 20 very effectively from, from Andy and Jeff as much as anything else. But those are the kind of things that we can do in a very much a vested way very early on. And, and the earlier, the better. That's where you have the most fun and tweak things to have um, optimal results later on. Very, very good answer. And, and just a question you had referenced, first round capital as introducing you um, to that founder. And I know you have some history with first round capital. Could you take us back to kind of your initial conversations with first round capital and, and initial interactions and kind of when you got to that aha moment where you realized, you know, having so much value add to early stage CPG founders, 
you know, was in your DNA and it, and it really made sense to start a firm like Bullish. Uh, I, I, I will literally get teary-eyed talking about first round capital because what they did for me personally was give me the kind of chutzpah and, and the really confidence that this was an idea, like a dumb and dumber moment. Like I literally did one of their office hours they were doing back in 2009 and I drew Josh Koppelman in a bar live bait in New York City. And after 10 minutes, he said, you got an idea here. Here's my card. I'd love to hear more. And it just, that generosity, that was a big wake-up call for me because in the marketing agency world, for an agency win, everyone must die a horrific death because it's our revenue we must get it. Whereas VCs, like how can we help other VCs or how do we build cap tables around the entrepreneurs? It was, it was a wonderful expression. And, and to this day, it's one of the kindest things that I think anyone's done for me in business. And got to meet people like Chris Fralick, Josh, Brent Burson, Kent Goldman is no longer there, Finn when he was there. And just like they were super, super empathetic to what I was doing and offered counsel and like pressure tests. And I hadn't quit yet. So they, are you really going to do it? Kind of like poking like a little brother to go do it and and did so. And they they introduced us to Birchbox early on. And, and without Birchbox, I don't think we'd be where we are today. And we had a lot of our success to first round capital because they really helped us unlock what our potential could be. And a lot of that, quite frankly, was understanding, wait a minute, instead of trying to be the typical VC, why don't we just be our primal instinctual selves and studying the consumer side, the demand side of the equation, and, and not overly on the supply side. And, and after a while, you can get very, you can overdose on like, ooh, benchmarks in that. Andreessen Horowitz, ooh, it's Y Combinator. Now it's like, I think we've developed much more of a contrarian attitude towards stuff where, you know, it. Consumer is so weird. It's get less than 3% of, of early stage dollars that we, we've learned to like have great respect for those firms I mentioned and, and others. The Y Combinator drives us a little bit nuts. We, we learned how to respect, but just to have our own criteria and our own like um, selection uh, on that side in terms of what who we back and who we don't. Could you talk a little more for our listeners about that criteria and kind of the typical check size, typical round that Bullish likes to get involved in in, in terms of opportunities? Yeah, checks has evolved. I mean, early on, it was just uh, myself and a couple other putting like our personal money in and doing SPVs. And now we're, we've just done a, a first close in our fund and brand fund too, that we're writing half a million dollar checks up to 3 million. Now we have the capacity to follow on to these great companies that are clearly going up and to the right. So we want to take the bet at the pre-seed and seed stage, but then we want to be able to follow on to series A to maintain ownership on that side of it. In terms of criteria, based in the U.S., We'll stretch in North America because, gosh damn it, Canadians are like just like us too in many ways. Maybe <laughs> Montreal, maybe Quebec won't like that, but like Toronto and the 416 in Vancouver, but wonderfully disruptive consumer propositions. And, and for the most part, it's been B2C models where we look for what categories just are in need of disruption that just haven't had any like new math. If you think about it, the iPhone, the smartphone is only 13 years young. We, we still as humans are still figuring out how to use that for more on-demand things and it's changing habits on that side of it. Where's their journey, journey inefficiency? I'll use Harry's again and, and Dollar Shave Club went to the same thing. You know, when you went to CVS or Walgreens and like the razors and blades are locked up behind the counter, it's like, that's messed up. And it's because the profitability behind them made them so stealable because they were so expensive. What else can the internet do to disintermediate? What else can the internet do to bring a customized experience, personalized experience? What, what can this company do to really serve the consumer in a better way other than a product feature on that side of it because features are just they, they can be ripped off but what can, and do the founders have a lot of empathy and do they obsess over better serving the customers 
Great entrepreneurs, in our opinion, have like the passion to disrupt a category and provide a better solution, but they're also paranoid. Here's why this could fail, so we're going to do this. And they tend to have better customer service and even do things that may not be like scale, scalable long term, but it's just like they want to earn a consumer's dollar and just keep fighting for that relationship. And it's that yin-yang thing that we you can smell it, you can feel it. By the way, that's not on, oh, if you went to Harvard Business School, you had it, we're Wharton. It's just like, it's a chip on the shoulder, whether you're a liberal arts dropout and like from Des Moines, Iowa to anywhere else. As we've seen in, I think, nine of our last 12 investments, they've come outside the, the top three or four metros. Pittsburgh, Austin, Minneapolis, Coon Boulder, Philly, Portland. So it's uh, New Canaan, Connecticut, and now uh, another one in just outside of Portland. So great consumer businesses don't have to be concentrated where the, where the smart people are or where the density is. It's become like America's new sport in many ways. For better or worse, thanks to things like Shark Tank and entrepreneurship is now on like the, the front cover of newspapers, whatever newspaper is, printed or digital or otherwise. But that's what we kind of look for in a very generic way. I love that answer so much. So you mentioned the fact that you look for disrupt, like who's disrupting a category or the, the, the just the idea of disruption. Can you talk a little bit about some brands that you think or companies that you think are doing a really good job of disrupting a certain category right now or where you think there's room for more disruption to occur? Oh, geez. I mean, tons. Let's talk Sunday. You can't see it. Sunday Lawn. Sunday Lawn is like, I think, the hot shiny toy. Scott's, who does like, they have things like Spectracide and all these things that are like clearly chemical enabled. You know, Scott's is, I think, under the gun, but we as Americans love green lawns and we love beautiful lawns and that side. And Sunday's come along and say like, you know, listen, American lawn is the number three crop in America, 40 million acres. Our kids play on it. Our pets play on it. And literally skin absorbs things uh, much quicker than what we put in our mouth. If you go back, we, we've had a big moment in organic food and better for you and that side of it. But when you see those damn yellow plastic signs on lawns, like don't step on here for 24 hours because it's got pesticide. It's like it was sitting in our noses and no one was doing anything about it till Coulter Lewis just had enough. And yet what he knows and what he is great about, it's like, yeah, it's got to be better for you. But if your lawn doesn't look good, it doesn't matter. And that's it. That's that passion and paranoia I was talking about earlier with founders. And it's one of those things that it just felt like a silly idea to most VCs in San Francisco, New York. Because most VCs like, well, I don't get it because they don't have freaking lawns. They're not resonating with like what's going on in Akron, Ohio or Syracuse, New York or or other places. And it's just like the, the biggest thing we do is like, we never assume we're the consumer. We study that on the outside of it. And that Sunday is now more obvious than, it, than, than it was before when we backed it pre-concept. It was barely a concept when we backed it. But there's a lot of stuff like that. But we don't, you know, we, we study a lot of cultural tailwinds that's going on in society now and that, but we don't play God. You know, we, we stay naive and let founders basically pitch us or try and convince us as to why like this is like an antidote needed. And to do that, it doesn't mean like we need TAM. I think TAM is like one of those academic exercises to a large degree that VCs use like on that side of it. If we can get 1% of $3 trillion market, yeah, whoop de do. That doesn't mean like, we wanna see entrepreneurs that wanna own the market, that wanna get after it and, and change the trajectory of it. And great businesses, like VC businesses that can return funds are probably something that can like change like what TAM would even look like from the beginning. Peloton, pure and simple. Or Harry's starting razors and blades, but guess what? Now they're doing things like body care and all that stuff that they allowed to go into when their consumer basically demanded for it. So 
I think I answered questions you didn't ask there, but I think Sunday Lawn's up there. Claire Paint, when you look at what the proposition is, everyone listening to this, go to claire.com and buy paint. Don't go to Home Depot or Lowe's and look through a billion different situations. Like Claire will treat you right. But I mean, that's that's kind of a, um, I'm using Sunday as an example, but it's a, there's a lot more bubble beauty. There's, there's so many more in our portfolio that um, maybe aren't famous yet, but um, we're, they're on the trajectory to be that in the next 18 to 24 months. I love that. I'm going to go get some lawn, lawn care stuff after this. Your friend. There you go. There you go. So we know that you, you work with so many companies and brand is so important to you. We've heard you talk about it so many times. If you had to pick your top three most important things that lend to a successful brand, can you take us to those? I don't even know if I need a top three. I think the biggest thing is like brand is like a, it's a set of shared values. It's an emotion. It's what people say about you when you leave the room. It's not identity. It's not a color palette. Like I think people have been seduced like, like, oh, let's do the, these millennial pink colors and sans serif and all lowercase and do animation. That is identity. That is not a brand. A brand has principles, as values. It has like, uh, like an order. It's, it's almost describing a human being. Like if, if, if my wife described her perfect husband, she probably would have said, oh, someone who's like 6'2", 220, handsome, well-educated, all that stuff. Certainly didn't describe me, but there's this thing called love and connection to chemistry that went alongside of it. It's the same kind of a thing when you, when you go into it. So we try to rationalize these, but, but a brand is at its very much core. It's a set of values and it's a promise. And that promise isn't just in marketing. Isn't that, that's why most people hate marketing people because you lie to me. You make me buy things I don't want. How could you? No, marketing done well finds the good in the product. But the great thing about getting involved so early with brands is that you can keep up when, whatever you stand for, whatever consumer you're going after, is like maintain that level of integrity, that proposition through everything from the product attributes to like the customer service to what the website's like to the kind of people and the culture behind, behind that. And the old guard hasn't had to do that because he has sold through a third party like a Walmart or an Amazon. And, and now when you have a direct consumer relationship, it's bigger than a transaction. That's probably like DNVB. Direct consumer is a channel to help you figure out who your customer really is. But like I said earlier, no normal customers only on Facebook or Google all the time. And I stress the word normal. That's why Harry's going into Target was Manifest Destiny because there's a certain point in time where even after the fandom went in and even advertising, when you go to a Target in Kansas, like, ooh, what's this? That's the best advertising you can do is like product at shelf if the brand has a, something new and different about it that offers something. So long with an answer, but it's at its basic core. I, I stay away from three things, but just more of like, we have a, a radically much more simple definition, which is still powerful and hard to execute, but it's bigger than color schemes and identity. And I, I don't think most VCs, I don't think most people truly appreciate it. But why should they? They didn't slave over this for years and years in the advertising in the agency business like uh, like most of us did. You talk a lot about focusing on B2C and digitally native vertical brands. How do you think some of the challenges that that digitally native brands kind of face have have kind of changed throughout kind of pre and post pandemic life? And do you feel as though digitally native brands can now potentially consider becoming omni-channel a bit earlier than they may have considered prior to pandemic, just given some of the challenges that we're now facing with digital costs and customer privacy? I mean, I'll almost do a non-pandemic answer uh, for the most part. It's like, hell yes. You know, here's the thing. The big retailers have woken up 
And and I go back to like Harry's going into the target. I think it was a seismic moment in time in terms of startup DTC kind of changing the game. Still Andy Dunn's term because I think he deserves credit for DNBB. Go to where your consumer needs you. And as I, I might love Harry's and everything, but if I run out of shaving cream, I may not wait the number of days to go get it. So now I can go to Target. Oh gosh, now I can go to CVS and so many other places to get it. So go to where your customer needs you and have a sense of that. And retailers want to put, want to have some velocity in the different aisles. You know, you're made up of buyers that whose job is to get promoted. How do you show like increased heat and like profitability in that 18 feet of an aisle you might get? And so it's like the more you understand about your customer, go there. And and I'll say this: retailers are coming out of the woodwork now, like we've never seen before. And that's to get stuff in their in their hallways, if you will. And maybe the pandemic helped with something. I haven't deduced that, but Bubble Beauty launched late November 2020. They literally got calls from two different retailers within that week. And this past July 2021, announced they're going to 3,800 WalMarts. And Walmart, to their credit, this ain't this ain't your grandma's Walmart. Buyers, they were very empathetic, receptive, very helpful in terms of going in. They're taking some very target-like behaviors. You know, Target, I think, is 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 probably the best, uh, has been the best at introducing new brands on that side of it. Now we're seeing a lot of other retailers trying to do it. Now we're seeing private label get a new lease on life. That private label isn't just like generic. It's actually an ownable brand for that retailer to do things. So I would think we're seeing a lot more of it. In terms of the pandemic, the pandemic was a windfall for most DTC. Where nothing else is like CAC went, went, went way down. You know, uh, all the big spenders were not spending on Facebook and Google. Inventory goes down or inventory goes up, prices go down. Now on a year-over-year basis, it's like those, those numbers have gone way up. And then add to that the fun and games of iOS 14, which has been having people pull their hair out. iOS 14, I think, is going to wind up being a godsend. And even if it's part of like Apple's little piss fight against fa- Facebook, if you are over-reliant on performance marketing, if you are over-reliant on Google and Facebook and don't have like a more diversified marketing brand, you, you deserve to get some pain. And I think everyone's going through it. We don't have all the answers in the world other than to like diversify. Like things like TV, OTT programmatic can work really well if you know who your target audience is. So like anything else, like there's macroeconomic and macrocultural talents that can help brands that are okay get by longer. But then a day, VCs will return money, not on the mark to mark, but on the end game of what these brands do over a sustained period of time for, for the for the consumers they serve. Slightly old fashioned, but combined with uh, company innovation being outsourced more than ever, it's a good time. If you serve the customer better, you will build a, a strong, strong proposition that someone's going to want to buy. Absolutely. And I think I mean, I'm kind of the uh, the prototypical millennial consumer, but I've always really kind of been attracted to brands that have kind of built my mental avail- availability through digital, but then are giving me the option to go to a brick and mortar uh, premise and actually buy the product physically because I often just don't have the patience to deal kind of with some of the the B to C challenges that come with wait times and you know supply chain and all of that. So. No, I agree. One more question, and then we'd like to go to a little rapid fire action at the end. Yeah, I've seen some BCs, like I've seen Cabu, for example, they have kind of an in-house design agency. And so I've a couple other firms that are putting more marketing resources and brand support resources into kind of their core DNA. I've seen a few consulting firms as well, kind of create early stage kind of consulting practices where they'll go in with early stage entrepreneurs and for equity compensation, provide consulting support. 
why are we not seeing other kind of prominent marketing agencies, Wyden and Kennedy's of the world, Vayner's, Mother's, bring this model to, to put into place where they will you know, really partner with early stage consumer companies and, and kind of take a VC kind of compensation stance? And why is kind of bullish one of the only ones that's really been doing it over the last few years? Yeah, and to some degree, it says I'm disappointed that we haven't inspired more to do this. I mean, it is hard to do. It's running multiple businesses at once. But the agency business is a great cash business, and you reset your clock every 365 days. In the VC and the venture business, it's more long-term. So those are almost diabolically opposed that, first of all, so much market share is with like publicly traded holding companies and holding companies. It's tough to think long-term. Or others will do it just for like PR and marketing and kind of like it's a hobby. Like what, what agencies who used to take on things like pro bono efforts, it's like startups, the new pro bono, because it's, it's shiny and cool, but you don't make money off them. But I'll say this, we've had conversations with White and Kennedy to like help them get in this business because quite frankly, it only behooves us to show what like really strong marketing, uh, talented people who give a damn can do. And so they're, they're lurking in Beckham. They've, they've asked us a bunch of questions and we're, we're big fans of theirs. Mother's done some stuff with almost its own IP where they've, they've done it that way. In a lot of agencies, I think they did a liquor or tequila on that side. So, but it, because our business model doesn't have to behoove everyone and, and wide makes a good lot of money and they have nice houses and beautiful kids that uh, in their own way of doing it. We just believe like our, our axe grind was the way Wall Street looked at us. So we're more of like looking to upend consumer private equity than anything in the agency business and celebrate agency people. But, but we're seeing a lot of wonderful mutations towards it. You know, when you say like the, the different firms you did that add marketing services, they're not doing it in their DNA. They're going, oh, here, by the way, we do this. That's the thing. It is, it's not, it's our, our very, very reason for being is, is our model versus, oh, we'll now do your pitch deck and, oh, we'll now do this. Or, oh, we have someone who's an assistant product manager at Adobe and marketing from 10 years ago, like help you in marketing. It's like, oh, by the way, stuff versus like sincere. That doesn't make us hate those people by any means, but just like, oh yeah, we can do that has become such a thing. Like we all want to be doing different things to it. And so Part of our core is to be very focused, help help our entrepreneurs if they're looking for other areas. But like we know what we're good at, it's strategy, design, communications. And, and we're incentivized because of the aligned interest to help our entrepreneurs build it the right way where we can. And there's a, you know, we don't get extra paychecks for like degree of difficulty. If something is doing great without us, something's doing great without us. If we need a pinch hit for a period of time, we're doing that with a number of brands. We go in and out. We'll do that. But you know, with a lot of private money out there and the economy being very good, a lot of people can experiment with a lot of different things. If there's any like retrenchment at all, we'll see like who's really in the businesses they're in and what services get cut. So that's why we think we have the long haul business model. But we'd love to see others in it. We really would. We got to do a better job of inspiring. That's on me. I think you guys are doing a, gr a great job of inspiring. We'd love to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions before we close. Oh. So all right. Basically, first thing that comes to mind, no pressure. Favorite Peloton instructor? Oh, Robin. Favorite food? Steak, sushi, red wine. Is red wine a food? I'm going to vote yes. <laughs> Craziest thing in your refrigerator? It's whatever is in the back upper column that has probably got mold and I'm too scared to touch it. So whatever it was, it was probably like a kombucha company that we didn't look at and I forgot it's there. And now it's like manifested into something that... I should probably get like animal control or environmental protective services to do it, but I, I couldn't name what that is. But it's not, it's like next to the olives that you don't eat or anything. It's something like that. Okay, craziest consumer product that you've tried or tasted? 
that you thought was a fad, but you, you, you tried it. Oh, there's too many to name. It's just like back in non-pandemic, we'd have, we'd have a fridge full of like lab experiments and everything like that. I think we've seen every single milk concoction. It's like milk. No, it's goat's milk. No, no, it's almond milk. Now it's pistachio milk. I don't say it's crazy because we're looking to invest in the crazy. So if something doesn't sound crazy, it sounds like another better for you thing. Eh. So it's not a quick answer, but like the crazier, the better. And if it was really crazy, I probably wouldn't tell everyone on this thing so we can just invest in it. But non-answer, answer, non-answer, answer, guilty. Wellness trend that you're excited about? Things related to mental health, digital detoxification, psychedelics, glucose monitoring. I, I don't know if we'd ever do another Peloton-like investment in a physical product because how well Peloton is done. But I think people doing it to their own body, I think there'll be something in that, that area that is uh, super exciting. And the great thing is, a lot of smart people. The pandemic has sucked. It has sucked. Screw the stock market. Screw all the funds we've raised. It has sucked. We, we still don't really know the physical and mental, real the mental tolls taken on people. And so that's what I'm, I'm hoping, like this comes to the limelight. I mean, not just what's happened with Osaka and tennis or Simone Biles and things, but it's just like, you know, there's no, it's easy to see when someone has a broken leg. Oh, I hope that heals up. Your mind's messed up. It's just, it's just not socially acceptable as yet to deal with that. And we don't know how that's, we got to make advancements in that area. We really have to make advancements because just when you look at depression rates, suicide rates, it just, God damn it, we're humans. And so for all the technological elements, sometimes we just have to get a little bit more woke in terms of some of like the mental and emotional ones versus trying to be um, you know, smarter or, or put a smile on our face when it doesn't mean it. That's, that's the broad enough area. I love that. Last one, your favorite artist. Oh, my 10-year-old son. Anytime he draws me something for Father's Day and my birthday. Musical artist. Musical artist? I, I got to say, I'm big in a Dua Lipa right now. And you yes, see, there it you is. see a middle-aged white guy in Connecticut saying Dua Lipa. And I'm not having midlife crisis or anything like that, but just like... I can recite the lyrics of way too many of her songs. I think, no, honestly, I'm not I suck at singing. Honestly, I think we're going to have to ask every single person we have on about Dua Lipa because we it's did have up. someone on. We're not going to mention names, but we did have someone on in a prior episode who vehemently mentioned that she, that she thought Dua Lipa was kind of a fade and it wasn't going to be here for the long term. And we kind of both got a little disappointed. So we will continue talking about Dua Lipa towards the end of episodes, I think, in the future. I'm very disappointed. We might try and get Dua Lipa on the podcast. If there we, we go. Can. <laughs> we will sponsor that show. We will sponsor that show. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> Dua Lipa is awesome. Mike, Mike, thanks a lot for joining us today. And where can our listeners learn more about Bullish? Bullish.co, not .com, not .net, not .ly, like was big in the, you know, a decade ago. Bullish.co. Or you'll see me yelling at people on Twitter, but this is fun. And it, it's great when we do podcasts like this, because this, this is fun. This is what we do for a living. And yes, it's work, but it's just like, it's, it's to be good at it and, and to be a rising star. I think passion can go, passion and curiosity are far more important than an SAT score or a GPA. So thanks, thanks for contributing to the quote unquote ecosystem. Our pleasure. So, ecosystem's like a drinking game word. It's such a, that's such a, Goofball VC word. Um, that's not real. Thanks for making this shit better. That's what I should have said. Love it. Thanks for making shit better. Over ecosystem. Awesome. Thanks again and appreciate the time and have a great one. Be well. Thanks. Thank you.
Thanks everyone for listening to today's episode. Feel free to rate, review, and share the podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Wellness. If you'd like to sponsor us, please see the supporter link in our podcast bio. We hope everyone has a great rest of week filled with wellness, and we'll see you next time.